Welcome to season two of the Let's Talk podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to be a person of faith in a culture against faith. So let's talk about why justice is a hard conversation to have for Americans. Yeah, let's talk about this. Um, this is a hard conversation to have, first of all. Oh, it is. Um, but for Americans, it seems like anytime you bring up the word justice or things related to justice, equity, inclusion, diversity, it's like anytime DEI comes up, Americans shut down. Oh, not not all Americans. Not all the Americans. The majority of Americans shut down. Yeah. Why? For lots of reasons. Oh, no, there's one. No, there's, there's lots of reasons one. here. Because historically, Americans are the most privileged people on the planet. And privileged people okay. don't care about justice because they've never been experienced. They've never experienced injustice. I think that is fair. And that is the very root problem that has it's created. The it's the macro problem. Yeah. yeah. That is the root problem that has created a bunch of other issues. Correct. Um, so, yes, I would agree. So... White privilege is a problem, real. <laughs> oh, no, it's a very big problem. Um, and I, make no mistake. Yeah, absolutely. And I understand my place in that as a cisgendered white male, middle class, all those things. Same. Um, person of faith, Christian. Um, Able-bodied. Yeah, all the... Uh, I, I, I don't know that there's a privilege box I don't check. Same. Yeah, I was looking for one. No, uh, there's not one. I've tried to find one before. It so doesn't exist. I get that. Um, so when we start having these conversations, people automatically start off in the defensive. Mm -hmm. Because most of our audience, not our audience to the podcast, but the audience to a conversation of justice are privileged people. Mm -hmm. And what they understand is because they've heard enough about the cries for justice that it will impact their life some mm -hmm. excuse me now here's the other problem naturally when we say justice and i'm i'm just pointing out an observation i've had as i continue to have these conversations i'm not necessarily necessarily saying or suggesting that i have a great solution to this problem because i don't yeah um When you say justice, they do not hear injustice to a vulnerable people. Mm. They hear... Justice system. They hear the justice system. They hear criminal reform. They hear, oh, you want to help criminals, which I understand is a privileged way of reading that word or interpreting that word but that's just how they're doing it. Yeah, I think that that is a fundamental issue. I think in the, the world that we live in now, that's becoming less of a thing, but trying to change and flip the narrative is really difficult. Agreed. Um, but people are starting to understand that this is how people are talking about this thing, whether or not they agree. Agreed. And, and I hope that's the case, but what... I'm more so picking on right now is the fact that our culture 
American culture has dominated an entire word that was meant to be an affirmative word. Yeah. And we've turned it into something that's discriminatory and oppressive. Yeah. um, Because we've tied that word for our own moral obligations to our incarceration. Yeah. Which is the highest in the world per capita. And we don't talk about it as incarceration reform. We talk about it as justice reform. Correct. 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 And it is those things. And yeah. there is an intersectionality there is. in the way these things happen, that these people are in prison mm. because they do start off in a worse situation. Yep. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. Um, and I was, I was in a seminary class. I'm in a seminary class right now. And I take it in Houston at Baylor. Obviously, Baylor is um, pretty progressive in the, their theological positions in a lot of ways. Um, and so because of that, we have a lot of women. We have a lot of minorities. Um, and we have a ton of black pastors in Truett, in Baylor Seminary, Truett, Houston, because one of our big keynote people that like we kind of parade as a, um, a poster child of Truett, he teaches at Truett, is Dr. Ralph West, who's the lead and founding pastor of Church Without Walls, mm. largest African-American congregation in Houston, which I don't even know how many people run through that place. Um, but neither here nor there, because of that, we were having a conversation about justice, something that you do in seminary classes. Sure. And someone made the comment, don't remember who it was, but in some way in passing, someone made a comment about reparations Mm. for slavery. Now, remember, white dude, all the privilege in the world. Yep. Um, having a conversation that historically I do not speak on. Yep. Because that ain't my place. Nope. Absolutely not. My family has done enough damage. My people have done enough damage yep. in this front. That ain't my arena to open my mouth. People that have looked that look like us should keep their mouth shut. Agreed. And so historically, I don't speak. I Mm -hmm. listen very Mm -hmm. intently because I want to know this conversation, but I just don't feel it's my place to speak. Um, I broke that rule real fast because the professor, who also happens to be African-American, said, well, you can't hold people accountable for something they didn't do. And I went, oh, no, sir, that's absolutely not true. That is absolutely not true. That's exactly what Noah did to Canaan. In a way of holding, quote-unquote, Ham Mm. responsible for his sin, he curses Ham's son, Noah's innocent grandson. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Noah thought, and I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily a good thing to do, but in a biblical culture that the standard was set, that blessings and curses had generational impacts. Oh, yeah. And whoever administered them, the lineage that followed, had to deal with the ramifications of said blessing or curse. 
of which we now see in American society. Oh, I'm going there. Don't Sorry. steal my thunder. Sorry. <laughs> my story's not over. And so I made, I made, and, it, and I was very impassioned about it. I was quite upset. Um, and, and I was quite upset because, and this is no, this is no fault. The, this is just retelling the story. I'm not making up anything about it, or I'm not trying to infer any part of the story, but just the way in which it all happened and understanding this landscape. I was quite upset because the person that said reparations couldn't happen happened to be black. Mm. And so it's like, oh, well, now that somehow validates it in a way, even though I think that's wrong. Mm. So I was very impassioned. And I said, yeah, I know my family owned slaves and I got no problem paying reparations because when I walk down the street, women aren't afraid of me mm. because I'm white. But when you, and I pointed at some other African-Americans in the room, walk down the street, there are women that are afraid of you. And that's because of slavery. That's for no other reason. That's because of slavery and zoning laws and all of the ways in which we've oppressed them and tried to keep economic growth and expansion out of their communities in order to keep them in Jim Crow laws, which still exist in the state of Alabama and Mississippi. Don't yep. think those laws don't still exist. Yep. And we have versions of them in Texas. Um, yes, when we are talking about conversations of justice, it is unfortunate that that word has been robbed from us in our American culture, mm -hmm. because we've tied it to retributive justice in our system. A way that you should think about, yeah, so I guess we should probably define retributive justice and restorative justice. We yeah. did it last week, but we should do it here again. Retributive justice, you should think of when Jesus says, an eye for an eye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. If, if something happens to you, reparations must be made, retribution must be had in order to make amends. Yep. The problem is in retributive justice, if if you steal something from me, I get it back. Yeah. Right? But it's not necessarily apples to apples. For instance, since we are having a conversation of justice, and I have been so hard on the way in which we oppress African Americans in this country, I'll continue with that theme. Cocaine and heroin. The exact same drug. They are the exact same drug. The only difference is the medium in which you take them. Mm -hmm. And who takes them? Mm -hmm. Where is heroin most popular, Clayton? In African-American communities. And, and, and what socioeconomic status of African-American communities? Lower. Mm. And, and where is cocaine popular? Rich white people. Rich white people. Oh, specifically rich white men. Correct. Um, yeah. That, I think that's really important to point out that it's specifically more common with rich white men. And why is that important? Because why is that an important distinction to point out? Because rich white men control what? Money. Everything. Yeah. And Which so, means they control, if they control money, they control everything. <laughs> correct. Yeah. So I bring this up. Heroin and cocaine are the exact same drug. In theory. You should have the same sentence. They should be penalized. They're both Schedule One, mm -hmm. Possession Group One substances. Mm -hmm. um, they should be penalized at the same rate. Mm -hmm. They are not. Nope. Which one do you think would logically be worse because it costs more and has more economic growth? Cocaine. Oh yes, but it's not. 
But it's not. It's, it's the crap. inverted one. The one that is most prominent among poor minority communities mm-hmm. has almost a double mm-hmm. the sentencing rate mm-hmm. that its cocaine counterpart, which is popular among rich white men, mm-hmm. has. Yep. That's injustice. Absolutely it is. That's a problem. That's yep. Jim Crow. Yeah. That's oppression. That that's that's what we're talking about here. Yep. Um and unfortunately. These words are interconnected. Like the way they're using justice is every bit as tied to the way that we're using it. Uh, The problem is that word has been hijacked from us. And so when we come to it, when we as Christians want to have a conversation of justice, we approach the conversation starting out behind the eight ball. Mm -hmm. We already start this conversation in a disadvantage because the only language that we have is twofold. If you want to come at it from a biblical perspective, which is the only way I think you probably should if you're a Christian, uh, that's not true. That's not true. Um, but I do think if you are a Christian, there there's plenty enough places in the Bible to support a restorative justice element, which absolutely the Bible through and through affirms. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's a lot, also a lot of neuroscience and other psychological or scientific fields that I think help this conversation Mm -hmm. specifically. Yeah. Anyways, long story short. Um, We have two words, justice and righteousness. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, righteousness doesn't mean the same thing in our culture that it meant in that culture. Um, And so we really are left with justice. Right. But, we are thinking about it naturally in a retributive way. And because we're thinking about it in a retributive way, when we think justice, we think criminal, Mm -hmm. which really hampers it when we say it, because I don't mean criminal. Right. I mean vulnerable. Right. Unfortunately, in America, those two find themselves to be synonymous. Yep. Which is part of the freaking problem. Yep. Golly. I hope, I hope this is flowing well. I feel like it's flowing well in my head. Uh, it I, definitely is. You're making a lot of sense. I think I think I, I want to stop real quick, though. And this is not meant to be a triggering conversation. Oh, no. This is all. meant to be a conversation of just what we see and why we think this is a hard conversation for Americans to have. This is not to point fingers. This is not to make people feel bad. However, this is what we see. Correct. Well, and you know, we're going to next week, or I don't know if I'm going to do it next week or in two weeks, but in an upcoming episode on this series, we're going to look at a couple of different Bible passages and the ways in which the Bible itself commands justice. Right. Um, which I do think will be helpful for people um, to see the Bible in action that way. One example is um, in the law, the Old Testament law, if you owned a field, you were not allowed to glean, quote-unquote, harvest Mm -hmm. the edges of your field. Mm -hmm. There were strict rules about how much of your field you were not allowed to take because the poor needed it. Now... There's a little bit of difference, and I will say, I'm not sure how much I think there's something to this, but it's definitely worth exploring. Um, 
you already have workers there. Yeah. The law could have said, go ahead and harvest it and give it to them. Mm. It didn't. The law said, leave it for them. Mm -hmm. Meaning they got to come work for it. Right. When you get to the New Testament, people are living according to the common purse in Acts. Right. It doesn't seem to be that work for it kind of mentality. But then in Thessalonians, Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Right. And so the way in which the restorative justice elements, what I, what I personally take away from that is they're contextual. Yeah. Um, just like the contextualization of theology, contextualization of everything and anything, they're contextual. There's no necessarily one right way to do it, but there is absolutely truth in saying that justice, restorative justice must be made. And so in these conversations, what would restorative justice look like? First and foremost, let's make the the um, penalty for coke and heroin the same. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I mean, number yeah, one, golly. get rid of anything related to Jim Crow. Um, any, like, still things that still exist. Um, ooh. I might, mm, in my mind... My opinion, police reform <laughs> and some extra like conversations of um, diversity, equity, inclusion um, and some some conversations about implicit biases and things. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that is something that needs to happen that probably just pissed off a lot of people you're allowed to be pissed off. It might have, but also if it did piss anybody off and this is, this is no shade to anybody that upset. We, our goal here is not to upset anyone. Um, but it is to say, and not, not to be too rude or forward with this. Um, maybe check your privilege. If, if that upset you at that rate, uh, which I know it did probably upset some people. Honestly, at this point, if it upsets someone, they're probably not listening to our podcast. Uh, that's probably true. Um, we we have enough of a history on this place, uh, no. uh, on these podcasts of upsetting people that would be um, upset by that comment. Fair but enough. if if you are that person, I, I would challenge you, like, please check your privilege. Yeah. Um, for real, check your privilege. And not, not in a... Because, I mean, we'll get this too. Well, I'm black. Okay. Well, yeah. I met a lot of black people that had black skin tone, but golly, they were more white than I am. Yeah. Um. And, yeah. There's lots of there's lots of ways that these things play out. But for me... Wait, I mean, Kanye voted for Trump. <laughs> oh, golly, golly. He, he said that. He said... Clayton said... I didn't say that. He Come on, said, that was a joke. And it was it, funny. It, but, you know, Jesus is king. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Use this gospel, buddy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Honestly, uh, and this is part of my problem. And this is this is no disrespect to Kanye, uh, no disrespect to anybody. No, yeah. but honestly, all Kanye did was that was just the first time somebody in the rap or hip hop community decided to use white evangelicalism tactics. White evangelicalism tactics for marketing. That's all that was. And he sold it to a bunch of white people. Yeah. 
minorities and black like black people hate that album. It's it's not very it's not well popular liked. among black people. It's real popular among white people that are connected to you know church. Yeah, yeah, in the, in the south, in the south. Yeah, it what what it is is it gives the white evangelicals a free pass to listen to a secular rapper. I mean, but he's not really secular anymore. He, well, he was. He was. He was converted. But, like, it's still the guy that came out with Stronger. Like, it's still that guy. Yeah. I think, so for me, what restorative justice would actually look like, I think, number one, making sure that Schedule 1 drugs are all penalized at the same rate. Um, and make it standard. Don't don't make this like a sliding scale. Yeah. If, if there was intent, you can tack on time for it. If there was violent, if it's a violent crime, you can tack on stuff for it. If there's like, you can even have rates of possession with more mm. penalty. I don't care about any of that. But every Schedule One drug should be penalized the same way. I agree. It shouldn't be based on anything else. If it's Schedule 1, if it's bad enough that it's Schedule 1, they should all be penalized at the same rate. Yep. But that's not restorative justice. Nope. It's just leveling the playing field. Yep. Restorative justice is the people at the top saying, hey, I'm going to give up some of my topness and give it to you at the bottom so that we can both come down and meet at the middle. So how do we achieve that? We've got hundreds of years of oppression. Mm. You start by creating hundreds of years of equity. Yeah. And it's probably going to take about that long. Like if we're being completely honest here, our system is so screwed up. It's going to take so long to fix it. Presupposes that people want to fix it. Also does that. I was having a conversation with some people the other day. Um, and I just made the comment that it's my it's a white man's world. Golly. And I had some people give me some pushback. There's a song about that. It's a man's world, but Yeah. Um I had some people give me some pushback and said, you know, probably two, three years ago I would have agreed with you. But in the world that we live in, I don't know if I agree with that anymore. Because of all this, like, affirmative action stuff. Oh, yeah. You only feel that way because you read the news. But those things actually hadn't taken mainstream where they flipped the statistics. Yes. Women are still oppressed. What I wanted to say was, or what I said was, while you are correct, this thing does exist. Um, Not at the rate that I think this person thinks that it does. But while this thing does exist, there are still policies that have existed since our inception. (laughs) I know. Go ahead. Like, that are still oppressing minorities. And until until these things change, it's going to be a white man's world. Well, there are just so many stupid things. Well, and part of it is people of power are always going to find ways to keep more power. So do you know who Jaron Myers is? No. Jeremy Myers is a comedian. He's a Christian, but I love him because when people ask him, why don't you do Christian comedy? Because like he curses and all kinds of stuff. And he's like, because I'm a Christian and I love that I'm a Christian, um, but I'm also a comedian. And I think those two things 
like can be independent. He's yeah. like, I hope people appreciate that I'm a Christian. I hope people appreciate that I'm a comedian and I hope people appreciate that. I want to kind of keep those separate. Like I, I don't, I don't have to do this then, like Christian commingling yeah. thing in every element of my identity. They're not mutually exclusive. They're not. But anyways, so I love Jaron. He's funny. Um, just in general, but he, he does a podcast and like mm. just finds random funny stuff. Um, and I can't remember what state it was. I think it was Montana. I think it was Montana or Wyoming. Um, but in 1938, this state, whatever it is, one of the states in, in the U S, um, the state passed a law. It was legal to kill a Mormon. <laughs> If you found a Mormon, <laughs> you could murder them. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it was legal in this state to murder a Mormon. No! Clayton, do you know when that law was repealed? God, I don't want to know. 2012? No. 1976. Yeah. Golly, Clayton. Our mother was born. Our mother was alive Dude, when no. it was legal to kill a Mormon in a state in the U.S. Is, is it still legal in Texas to, to kill someone? If they kill your dog? If, if they kill your dog or I stole your know. cattle? I don't think so. Yeah, like that used to be a thing. That was a thing, man. Uh, look, here's the deal. Society is evolving. Yeah. And I think it's important to continue to have these conversations around justice. We're not going to solve the problem no. with one conversation. This not has been no. a problem for hundreds of years. We're not going to solve it overnight. Um, but golly, if we never talk about it, we'll never solve it. Thanks for listening to the Let's Talk podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.